Sure, thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, like Chris said, my name is Emily, and I'm the small groups director here at the JAR. Um, ironically enough, though, I've never taught on small groups here on Sunday morning before. So not that I don't value small groups, not that I don't think that they're really important. I just never really felt like God was leading me to do that. But today, I felt like he was. So a couple of weeks ago, I met with Pastor Chris, and I said, hey, Chris, um, I really think that I would like to talk about small groups the next time that I teach. And he said, awesome, do it, go for it. And I said, all right, okay, uh, well, let me tell you what I'm thinking about for a title. And so I said, okay, hear me out. I think I want to go with this for a title. Four reasons to not be in a small group. And he looked at me, and then he started giving me four reasons that I should not be the small group director. <laughs> okay, not really. Um, but he was a little bit confused. So I explained a little bit more about what I meant, what I was thinking, and then he was all for it. So to avoid a little bit of that confusion, what I decided to go with for a title today is this question, who needs community? Who needs community? And maybe you've asked yourself that before. You know, who needs community? Who needs people? I mean, me and God, we're good. Like, things are working out fine. I don't really need to bring any people into this situation. And I want to be really real and honest with you. There are some legitimate reasons to not be in a small group. And, you know, small groups are not just some fun social club where, you know, you do it half-heartedly and it really doesn't have any impact on your life. So today I'm going to give you four reasons to not be in a small group. But my hope is that you'll overcome those barriers and you'll choose to pursue one anyway. Now, some of you may be thinking, Emily, I'm already in a small group, right? This doesn't pertain to me at all. And uh, if that's you, then before you just check out, um, before you just go ahead and take a nap today, um, I want to encourage you to think about this question today. Are you experiencing small group to the full capacity that God wants you to? Or are you kind of settling for, for less? Are you not putting your full uh, heart into it and not getting out the benefit that you could? So throughout the teaching today, I really want you to kind of keep those questions in mind if you're already a part of a small group. So sorry if I took away your excuse for a nap today, but, you know, you can save that for next week when Chris comes back, right? Now, before we start talking about small groups, I don't want to overlook the fact that some of you may have no idea what I'm talking about. Maybe you've never heard of a small group before. So in a nutshell, small groups at the JAR are just groups of 5 to 15 people that get together a couple times a month just to hang out and pray and study the Bible together. But as I'll talk more about today, they are much, much more than that. At least they can be. So where did this whole idea of small groups come from, right? It seems like just kind of a random concept. Um, and if you didn't grow up in church, then it may even seem a little bit freaky and weird to you, right? Like, what is a small group? Well, it's not like that at all. So small groups have been around for almost 2,000 years, and they started with the original small group and the original small group leader, who was Jesus. Now, could Jesus have done life all on his own? Could he have done ministry completely solo? Absolutely, right? He's the son of God. He can do whatever he wants. But he chose, he decided to pick out these 12 guys that he saw some potential in and reach out to them and invite them to be a part of his small group. And he just said, follow me. Follow me as I live out the life that God has called me to live. And those 12 guys became his best friends. They became his ministry companions 
they became even his family. Now, that doesn't mean that they didn't experience betrayal. That doesn't mean there wasn't conflict. doesn't mean there wasn't hurt. It doesn't mean that any of those things didn't happen. But the bond that they had, it became this just powerful force that became the foundation of the global church of millions that we see all over the world today and that you and I are a part of. So as we talk today about four reasons to not be in a small group, we're going to keep going back to that original small group that Jesus had with those 12 disciples. So here we go. Reason number one to not be in a small group is that you might lose some independence. You might lose some independence. So we live in a society where independence is praised, right? We, we honor people that pick themselves up by their bootstraps and they get it done and they're, they're independent and they do it themselves. But that is not at all how Jesus' small group functioned. In his group, if there was a need, a need, they came in and they met the need. So there was one guy um, in Peter's small group who's named uh, Peter, or sorry, in Jesus' small group who's named Peter. And Peter was, as far as we know, at least, the only one of the disciples that was married. And we know that he was married because in Luke chapter 4, the Bible references his mother-in-law. So one day, Peter's mother-in-law, she became very ill. The Bible says she had a very high fever, which was really no small thing at that time. And I really believe that he was genuinely concerned for her life. So Peter, you know, he could have been like, "Eh, you know what, we don't need to bother Jesus with this. You know, I'll just, we'll get a doctor, maybe I'll take some time off and care for her. But Jesus has bigger things to deal with, we're not going to mention this to him. But that's not what he does. Peter opens up, he, he tells Jesus, he tells his small group about what's going on. So what does Jesus do? Does he say, oh, Peter, man, I really hope she gets better. Like, you know, I'll say a prayer for her and... I mean, she's kind of up there in years, so, you know, she's not healed. It's okay. No, that's not what he says. He leaves the temple where he's teaching, and he goes over to Peter's house. He goes to his house. He goes into the room where his mother-in-law is laying there with this high fever in her bed. And the Bible says in Luke 4.39, it says he bent over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. So Jesus came into the situation, and he met the need. Now, if Peter had been like, "Eh, you know what, I can do this on my own. I don't need Jesus to be a part of this. I don't need to tell my small group. His family would have missed out on this miracle, right? And because that miracle happened, his stress was relieved, and his faith was strengthened. And I really believe that he grew so much closer in his relationship with Jesus that day because of what he did for him. So several years ago, uh, my husband Mikey and I, when we first moved to Muncie, uh, we were really struggling financially. And uh, to be honest, we hated asking for help. We did not like to ask for help. I always grew up learning, you know, work hard, be independent, take care of your own needs, pay for things yourself. So, um, but at the time, our car, the tires on our car were just terrible. It was really to the point that it wasn't safe for us to be driving. But there was no way we could afford all new tires for our car. So um, one night we were at small group, and we were doing this thing in small group where everybody got a post-it. And we were all supposed to write down on this post-it a prayer request that we had and then trade it with someone in the group. And then they were supposed to take it home and pray for it throughout the week. Well, um, so I got this post-it, and I'm thinking, you know, what should I write here on my post-it? 
And I thought, oh, the tires on my car, you know, why don't I just write this down and, and you know, who knows, God may provide for us, it's not going to hurt anything. So I write down on this post-it, God, pray that God would provide tires for our car. So we traded the post-it, kind of went our separate ways, and that was it. Well, um, the next time, a couple weeks later, when we came back for a small group, we had our group meeting and everything, and things were wrapping up, and we got ready to leave, and one of the couples in our group said, hey, can we walk you out to your car? And so they walked us out to the car, and I was just about to open the door and get in, and the husband of this couple, he hands me this piece of paper, and he says, Emily, this is a receipt from Cooper Tires. He said, go there and they will put four new tires on your car. Everything's taken care of. It's all paid for. Um, it's all done. You just have to give this to them. And I was just in shock. <laughs> like, I didn't even know what to say. I could not believe this. So I'm crying, you know. And I looked at this guy, and I'm like, can I give you a hug? And this guy was not a hugger at all, but I think he just, like, felt sorry for me and hugged me. And it was just this awesome moment, and we felt so loved, and we're just so grateful to God and to our friends. And we think back often on that story when we have a need and we really need God to come through in a miraculous way and we go back to that. And other times when somebody in our group has a need and we know they're struggling, we remember that, that experience and we think, man, how can we go above and beyond? How can we reach out and meet this person's need as well? And, you know, on that day, we did lose a little bit of independence. But at the same time, our stress was relieved And our faith was strengthened, and we felt so much closer to our small group than we ever had before. And I have no doubt that some of you here are struggling through something alone. You know, maybe uh, maybe you've got an illness that's a hidden a hidden illness, and you don't want to burden anybody with it. Or uh, maybe you're just in major financial debt, but you're too embarrassed to share it with anybody. Or maybe you've been struggling with, uh, with anxiety or depression, but it seems weak you know, to tell people about it and to ask for help. And yes, sharing those needs with a small group, it might cause you to lose some of your independence. But it could also result in a miracle. And so I hope you'll do it anyway. All right, reason number two to not be in a small group is that people might find out who you really are. People might find out who you really are. So one of the best things about the small group that Jesus had is these 12 guys, they were just real with each other. I mean, they were unmasked, they're completely authentic selves, whether they were frustrated with each other or they had insecurities or doubts or whatever it might be, they were just real with each other. And there was one guy in Jesus' small group named Thomas. And uh, Thomas struggled a lot with doubt. And it didn't matter, you know, how many miracles he saw Jesus do, how many people he saw raised from the dead, whatever it was, he just had a hard time taking Jesus at his word. He really struggled with doubt. Well, one night, uh, Jesus' small group, they were all meeting together in this room. But with one difference, Jesus was not there with them. Because just a few days earlier, he had been crucified and killed on a cross and he was laying dead in a tomb. So his small group was there um, meeting without him. So Thomas, who we mentioned earlier, he walks into small group, and here's the thing, he walked into small group late. Okay, everybody has that guy, right, that comes to small group late. If you don't know who it is, it's probably you, but everybody's got one. So he walks into small group late, and he's thinking, 
you know, like, he's expecting them to be crying, mourning, sorrowful, because Jesus had just died, right? So he walks in, and they're all, like, excited and celebrating and ecstatic. And he's thinking, man, what did I miss? I missed something huge here. What's going on? And so the disciples tell him, Thomas, like, Jesus was here. He's alive. He came. He came right in the middle of us, and he showed us the wounds in his hands, and he, like, breathed his Holy Spirit on us, and it was this amazing moment. And Thomas heard this, and he just couldn't believe it. It just seemed way too out there. It just didn't didn't seem possible. Now, he could have just kind of played along, right? He could have been like, oh, yeah, you know, that's, that's great. Yeah, awesome, and tell me all about it, you know, while secretly thinking, like, these guys are delusional. I mean, we saw him die. There's no way that he could be alive. But that's not what he did. He, he was honest. He was open and real with them. And he said this. This is in John 20, 25. He said, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers in them and place my hand into the wound in his side. So how does this small group respond to this just blatant disbelief, really, Right? Well, it doesn't explicitly tell us in the text, but we can kind of get a clue if we read on in verse 26. It says, Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. So did you catch that last part? Thomas was with them. They didn't shame Thomas. They didn't kick him out of the group. They just invited him to come back the next time and be a part of them. And Thomas's honesty paid off. Because when he came back again for that small group, Jesus showed up again. And he came and he stood in the midst of them. And what he didn't do is he didn't come up to Thomas and say, Thomas, like, why are you even here? How many miracles have I done and you still don't believe me? I mean, what is wrong with you? No, he didn't say that at all. He came up to Thomas and he said, Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. He said, put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. He said, believe. And Jesus showed him grace and gave him undeniable proof of the truth. So just a, a couple months ago, uh, my husband and Mikey and I, uh, we, were, we were getting ready for our small group that was coming up on Friday. And it was around Easter time, and it just so happened that Friday, our small group happened to land on Good Friday, or the day we commemorate when Jesus died on the cross. And we're like, what should we do? I feel like we should do something kind of special if we're going to meet on Good Friday. So we thought, hey, let's do communion together as a group. So we're like, yeah, let's, let's do this. So a couple days before small group, I was on the phone with one of the uh, women from my small group. And um, I was talking to her, and I said, hey, yeah, just so you know, like Friday we're going to go ahead and have group, and we're going to do communion together. And she said, hey, you know, that's fine. Um, but just so you know, my husband and I, we probably won't participate. And I said, okay, would you feel comfortable telling me why? And she said, well, you know, with everything going on in our lives and in this world right now, we have uh, started doubting the existence of God. And that hit pretty hard. (laughs) But what I didn't do is I I didn't shame her. I didn't say, you know what, just come and do it anyway. Like, who cares? It's not really that big a deal. But I remembered back years ago when I was having those same kind of feelings and doubts. And I was so grateful that I had a small group that I could be open and real with and share what I was thinking. So I just said, you know what, just go ahead and come and do whatever you feel comfortable with. You're welcome to be there. And so they did come, and they continue to come in the weeks after. 
and they started to open up to the group uh, bits and pieces of just the doubts that they had and the questions they were asking and the feelings that they had. And you know what? Nobody in the group shamed them. Nobody judged them or called them out. They just embraced them and encouraged them. They shared times where they had had those same doubts and questions. And you know what? I have never been more proud to be a part of that small group than through that situation. And I wonder if for some of you today, you're afraid to try out a small group because you're afraid that people might find out who you really are. And you're afraid that they might find out about your doubts or your insecurities or your questions. You're afraid that they might learn about the mistakes that you've made or your failures. And it's true. It's true. They might find out who you really are. But if my experience of being in different small groups over the past 20 years has taught me anything, it's that them learning who you really are is only going to make them love you more. So, yes, if you come to a small group, it's true. People might find out who you really are. But I hope that you'll do it anyway. Because for people to fully know you, And to still love you is one of the greatest gifts that you could ever experience. All right, reason number three to not be in a small group. You might have to get off the couch. You might have to get off the couch. So one of my favorite passages in the Bible um, is in Luke 10, 21. And it says, at that point, Jesus rejoiced exuberant in the Holy Spirit. And I just love that picture of like Jesus getting just so excited and pumped and just rejoicing, like such a cool thing to think about. So what is it that made him so excited? What was he rejoicing about? Well, what had just happened, if you read back earlier, is that he talked to a small group and he said, all right, guys, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go all around to the, to the neighboring towns and just minister to people. I want you to pray for people and tell them about me and just do whatever God shows you to do. So they went out, and they served, and they loved people, and God did some incredible things. And so they came back together when this was all over, and they just gave like a report to Jesus of everything that had happened, and the the miracles, and um, just all the people that had been impacted. And Jesus, as you can see in this scripture, he's just overwhelmed with joy. He's so excited about how God used his small group to impact people in this world. And, you know, I've kind of been able to get a taste of that with my own small group and just seeing how God used them. So when I first started my uh, women's small group, there was a lady in my group named Pam who really had a heart for our, one of the local women's shelters in town. And so through her leading, we decided to start going and having game nights there with the women. And it was just a simple thing. We would just go and play games with the women and just hang out with them and build relationships with them. And, um, it was, but it was really cool. And through that just simple act of going and doing game nights, we were able to see several women um, come to church, to the jar, and then many of them accepted Christ and even got baptized as well. And there was uh, one night when I went to game night, and I I met this lady, Barb, and her daughter was there. And for some reason, she just kind of gravitated toward me and just, like, wanted to play with me and dance with me the whole time. And so I was playing with her and talking to her mom, Barb, And her mom just kind of opened up to to me about the abusive situation that had brought her to that place. Well, after that night, I could not get them off of my mind. And so anytime we would have a game night, I would go and I would try to connect with her. And I would bring her invites to the jar and keep trying to to get her to come. 
And um, then one time we had this Jar Kids skating party outreach thing, and they came. She was there with her daughter, and I was, like, thrilled to see her there. And then a couple weeks later, they ended up coming um, to church as well. So long story short, uh, what ended up happening was um, Barb kept coming to church. She ended up giving her life to Jesus. I got to watch her be baptized, which is just the most amazing thing ever. And then she ended up coming and being a part of our small group. And God impacted her life in just such a powerful, powerful way. You know, I think a lot of times when we imagine or picture small groups, we think of people, you know, in a room, in a circle, praying and reading the Bible together. And that's okay. And small groups do that all the time. And that's a big part of it. But sometimes small groups need to get off the couch. You know, Jesus' small group, they didn't just stay inside and kind of do their thing. They went out. They went out in the streets and the marketplaces, and they showed God's love, and they told people about him. And, you know, your decision to be a part of a small group, it doesn't just affect you. It affects all those people that you could go out and show God's love and kindness in small ways. So maybe you're already in a small group, but maybe your small group has kind of become couch potatoes. I know with, you know, COVID and everything, um, it's been easy to, we've all just kind of stayed inside and we haven't really been able to go out and serve and and go out in the community. And so maybe they've just kind of become couch potatoes. And maybe today God is calling you to be the one in your group to turn to your group and say, you know what, guys, let's get off the couch. Let's go out in our community and let's show God's love through small acts of kindness. Let's make an impact This good news, it's just too good to keep to ourselves. Let's go out there and let's share it. And, you know, it might be a little bit uncomfortable to play a game with a woman that you've never met. It might be out of your comfort zone to serve soup to someone at a soup kitchen. It might be a little little uncomfortable to hand a cookie to someone in the mall. But I hope that you'll do it anyway, because it just might change someone's life for eternity. All right, the final reason to not be in a small group is that it just might change your life. It just might change your life. You know, before the disciples, those 12 guys, before they met Jesus, their life was comfortable, right? I mean, they were doing their thing, whether it was collecting taxes or or fishing for a living. It's like, why rock the boat? Things were comfortable, things were good. But when Jesus came to them and he extended that invitation and invited them to be a part of his small group, I think they felt something. I think they knew that there could be something bigger. There could be something better for them. And because they accepted that invitation, because they said yes and became a part of his small group, 2,000 years later, we know their names, right? We read their books. We've heard their stories. And every single one of us is sitting here today because of that very first small group that was started by Jesus. And maybe for here, some of you here, maybe, you know what, you're comfortable. Life is fine. You know, maybe you're just kind of going through the motions, but life is it's good. It's really not, not anything bad. But maybe today you've kind of felt this sense of maybe there could be something more. Maybe my life could have more meaning. Maybe it could be deeper. So that's how my friend Alice felt. So Alice, a couple of years ago, her friend Betty, who goes to the jar, uh, reached out and invited her to come to church. 
And she came, and like many of you probably have, she felt welcomed and accepted and just really enjoyed it here and wanted to keep coming and be a part of it. Well, a little bit later, when um, Betty decided she was going to start a new small group with her husband, John, they reached out and they invited Alice. And Alice decided to, you know, kind of take a step and just try it out. So Alice ended up coming to small group, and when she came, she met this amazing group of loving and supporting people that just were so much there for her. And so she continued to come, and she started growing in her relationship with Jesus and um, just learning more about him. And then their small group decided, you know what, we want to get, get off the couch. And so they started going to the community basket, which is an outreach that the JAR has where they give hygiene products to people in need in our community for free. And so they would go and they would serve together as a small group and just be able to impact people's lives there. And it was just such a cool, meaningful experience for Alice. So Alice kept coming to church. She kept coming to small group. And it had such an impact on her that she decided to do something a little bit risky. She decided to invite her ex-husband to come to small group with her. And so she invited Bob, her ex-husband, to come. And, And he came. He showed up at small group. And he met that same group of these loving, supportive, amazing people. And um, he, he became a part of that small group. He started growing. It impacted him so much, he decided he wanted to try coming to church, too. And so he started coming to church. He started serving. And his life was impacted. Well, through all of these experiences, both of them were able to find so much healing um, for the, the hurt and the pain of their past that they decided to reconcile their relationship. And now they are coming to church and to small group together. They drive two hours every time for small group and every time for church because it has had that kind of impact on their lives. And, you know, that wasn't a path I don't think that either one of them really expected to take. I'm sure it wasn't a very comfortable path at times, but it was a path for them that brought healing, it brought purpose, and it brought this deeper meaning to their lives. And one of the coolest things about my role at the JAR is that I get to hear stories like this all the time. Stories of people whose lives have been turned upside down, or maybe I should say turned right side up, because of what God has done in their lives through the power of a small group. And our small group leaders are some of the most incredible people I've ever met. I mean, the way they love people, the way they invest in people, it's no wonder that it's had the impact on their lives that it has. So it's true, being a part of a small group could change you. You might start acting differently. You might have different priorities. It could change your relationships. You might start taking more risks. But I hope that you'll do it anyway, because it just might change your life. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have not put us in this world alone, that you have surrounded us with people that can come alongside and challenge us and support us and get off the couch with us, Lord. I pray that if there is anybody here today that they've been trying to do life alone and they've been struggling through it, or maybe it's been comfortable, but they know there's something more, I pray that you would put it on their hearts to take a step, to take a risk, and to try being part of a small group. And Lord, if there's people here that are already in a group, but they've been holding back, they haven't been authentic because they're afraid of what people may think of them, or they've, they've not challenged themselves to, to get off the couch and make an impact, and they've kind of just been focused in on 
their own group. Lord, I pray that you would, you would push them out of their comfort zone today and help them to reach out and take a, a risk so they can embrace community and so they can be the most effective for you. Maybe for some of you here, maybe you've sensed God extending an invitation to you, saying, come, be a part of my small group. Come and have a relationship with me. And you know, you may lose some independence if you do that. You might have to get off the couch a little bit. He already knows who you really are. But I hope that you will go ahead and, ex- and receive that invitation that he's extending. That you will accept it. Because he wants a relationship with you. He wants you to be a part of this family that he's created. And so if you're feeling kind of that tug, that nudge, if you feel like Jesus today is reaching out to you and saying, follow me, then I want to lead you in a prayer today. And this is, these will be my words, but they can be your words too if you really genuinely mean them. Um, they're not any kind of magic words, just a prayer, just talking to God. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and I'm just going to ask you to repeat these words after me. And uh, I would actually ask everyone to go ahead and repeat these words after me so that no one today has to pray alone, that we could all pray together. So go ahead and just repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I give my heart to you. Please forgive me and make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so that I could be forgiven. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name.